Hello, welcome to another Sunday morning podcast. I'm Ray, and uh, what have we got? Let's do the weather. <laughs> we'll start with the weather. Absolutely lashing with rain. It's half past 10, Saturday morning, 31st of December 2022, New Year's Eve. Lashing with rain, 12 degrees centigrade, which is 23. No, it's not 53. I'll get this right. Shall I start that again? 12 degrees centigrade. I'm trying to speak too quickly, which is 53 degrees Fahrenheit. 1002 millibars. The wind is non-existent. The flag is the flag soaking wet and wrapped round the flagpole. But I can look at the trees over the back. They're barely moving. So the rain is just coming straight down vertically. New Year's Eve. Here we go. Just had an email from Ray. Good morning, Ray. I'll be answering you in a minute. In bed by 10 o'clock tonight, Ray reckons. They don't stay up. Do you know, that's what we have done for the last few years. In bed by about 10 o'clock. If we're not awake, the fireworks will wake us at midnight. So we say Happy New Year to each other. Sometimes we're awake anyway. But uh, tonight... We are going, <laughs> we're going to our club. Trisha and myself and her sister and her husband. We're all going up to the club. So I've got to stay up till midnight. Now, my worry is I need a table and a chair. I cannot stand up with my bad knee. <laughs> I've just got some more tablets. I had to phone the doctor the other day. Well, he phoned me. You know, you do this new thing. You message the place and they say, oh, they'll message back, and then he phones, I don't know. He said, do you want to come and see me? And I said, no, no. I said, there's no point <laughs> to show you my knee. Oh, yes, it's swollen and it hurts. Well, I can tell him that on the phone. Anyway, he's now sent me some tablets which turned up, and they work. Now, what am I talking about? Doctors? And no, I wasn't talking about the doctor. Yes, yeah, so tonight, they open at five, and obviously they're open until just whenever, half midnight or whatever. Now, the thing is, here's the thing. As my son would say, here's the thing. I can't stand up all that time. I've got to get a chair. Otherwise, I'll just walk home. It's only around the corner. I don't want to get there at five o'clock. That's seven hours I'll be sitting there. Stone the crows. I'm not doing that. Now, Trish reckons half six, seven o'clock, we will get a table. I hope so. We will see. Otherwise, I will moan. I will go into a Ray's rant. <laughs> anyway, that's that. So, Ray, I envy you in bed by 10. Yes, that's what we always do, except for tonight. Anyway, 2023 is around the corner. Hours away now. Let's hope it's a good one. After, what have we had the last couple of years or three years? Covid. There's the war in Ukraine. I don't know what's going to happen there. Everyone's on strike, it seems. It's just been so bad, hasn't it? It's Everything seems to have gone wrong. Everything. So we won't dwell on that. This episode is, uh, or sort of was, about the idea that Andy had about wartime experiences. Now, I must be honest, I haven't had a great deal of response. So either people have forgotten any stories they were told, or they don't want to relate any stories they were told. I don't know which it is. But I have a few and I, uh, from people, so thank you for that. I also have a few memories that my mother and one or two other people have told me over the years. So I'll get into that in a minute. Now, where's my list? What should I start? Oh, hang on. Let me just check my list. Hang on a minute. Do you remember last week I was going through bits of paper and I said, oh, look, I've got Rolf written down here. And I said, hello, if you're listening, Rolf. Well, Rolf emailed me and said, I am listening. 
<laughs> so great stuff. Hello again, Rolf. Right, Walter. Oh, just one thing I'll tell you. Went to visit my mum this morning and she just uh, told me a couple of wartime experiences on the way back. I was doing 30 miles an hour, as you do in a 30 mile an hour limit. And there's this car right behind me, quite an old car, an old Volkswagen van type thing right behind me, far too close. And I thought, you know, I'm not going to break the speed limit. Just, I'm not going to be intimidated by this idiot. So we're plodding along at 30 miles an hour. Eventually, he managed to overtake me, roaring past, blasted his horn. <laughs> and what happened? Out of a side road, Ninor, Ninor. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, it wasn't Ninor these days. It's um, <whistles> And he got pulled over by the cops. As I drove past, I just grinned. <laughs> It was lashing with rain. He had to get out of his car and stand there. And he looked at me and I grinned as I plodded along at 30 miles an hour. So there we are. Karma. That's karma for you, isn't it? Karma does work, doesn't it? Have you found that? It does work. Just before... Now, hang on. Shall I just tell you about this other... Before I go into the war... Now, let me tell you a wartime story first. And then well, I'll fit wartime stories in between other bits of rubbish that I, I rant about. My mum's sister... Back in the 40s, when the war was on, of course, she was walking home from school. I don't know how old she was. I think about 12, from what my mum was saying. She couldn't quite remember. She's walking home from school. She is only a few yards from home, from the house where they lived in Sutton, in Surrey, when this incendiary bomb dropped. <whistles> right in the middle of the road. But it didn't go off. Huge crater in the road, apparently, but it didn't go off. But what it, which was lucky, because my mum's sister wouldn't, you know, wouldn't have survived that. What happened was it split open in this crater and it splattered oil everywhere, all over my auntie, yeah, mum's sister, auntie, all over her. She was just covered in oil, which of course would have, had it gone off, been on fire. That's what the oil is for, isn't it? It ignites. It splattered everyone's garden. People's windows were shattered in all the houses with the, I suppose, just the thud itself in the middle of the road gardens were covered in oil houses were covered in oil and well my sister actually got home and uh you know told her mum and everything what had happened well mum knew that uh, the bomb had dropped and not gone off but how about that incendiary bomb big crater middle of the road oil everywhere thank goodness it didn't ignite now that's a that's a story that my mum told me well, in my teens i think and something I've never forgotten. You can't imagine that now, can you? You know what I mean? Like our road out here. In fact, our ceilings in this house, our house is 100 years old. This uh, this year, yeah, 22, 1922 it was built. The ceilings, when we finally moved in here, because this was Trisha's grandmother's house, then we bought it. The ceilings had all been replaced during the war with hardboard and left like that. So when we moved in, I had to plasterboard all the ceilings and do all the bits and pieces, the coving. The reason they'd been covered in hardboard is because a bomb dropped on the railway line over the back of us, which is what, I don't know, it's um, a few hundred metres away. Not Yeah, not even that, I don't think. They bombed the railway line, as they do, to stop, obviously, you know, the trains running. The explosion brought down all the ceilings in several of the houses round here. And of course, people had repaired them over the years, but ours had been left. Trisha's grandma had never sort of got round to doing it. I suppose the hardboard ceilings were okay. They painted them white 
And that was that. They left it like that. So that was an uh, interesting story. All the ceilings in this house came down with the bomb blast over the back on the railway line there. In fact, by the railway line, there's a, a, a new house. There's all old houses in the road round the block from us. And one of them is brand new. And apparently that house was, uh, must have been very, very near the bomb and it just got wrecked. So they built a new house there. So we did have quite a few bombs dropped in and around Worthing. Of course, the, the south coast, especially Southampton, Portsmouth, they're docks, aren't they? The south coast, uh, they really were bombed a lot around, especially Southampton and Portsmouth. Hello, we've got a news flash now. Here we go. What's happened? Oh, I don't know, something about Prime Minister Sunak. I can't be bothered to read that. So, yes, interesting stuff. I always thought that the, the bombing was sort of London, Coventry, you know, the big cities. But no, it was uh, a lot of the, the ports. And we got Shoreham. I don't know whether they bombed Shoreham Harbour. I don't think that was probably used too much, unlike Southampton and Portsmouth. But uh, interesting. And also the Isle of Wight. They had on the Isle of Wight the huge, was it the, what do they call it? The home the home chain or the chain home, the radar system, wasn't it? All along the south coast of Britain and the Isle of Wight, there was uh, one big set up there, which of course was another a target. When I said the house over the back is brand new, I, I mean, in comparison with the others, I don't mean brand new, do I? It wasn't built yesterday, built in the sort of early 50s, I suppose. You can see it's a, a totally new house uh, compared to the others. You know what I mean? In fact, my grandmother uh my mum's house yes her mother where they lived in Sutton in Surrey the another bomb went off nearby and lifted the roof of their house now this is interesting it lifted the whole roof off the house apparently allegedly and it plonked the roof back you know the, the kind of force of the explosion plonked the roof back down again at a slight angle it was a little bit crooked and what my grandfather should have done was have that sorted out because the people that hardboarded the ceilings here they were that's what their job was in the war going around banging up hardboard in houses where people had lost their ceilings you, you didn't have to get a local chap in to do it these were wartime ceiling re-hardboarders or whatever they called them and um, my father always said that my grandparents in the Sutton Surrey house should have got on to whoever it was and said, we need the roof sorting out. It lifted, turned slightly and plonked back down. So it was actually crooked on the house. And they could have had that done apparently for nothing. But as they left it, they didn't bother. Then decades later, they had to have the roof sorted out and they had to pay a lot of money for it. So best to get the things sorted out at the time. I also heard another story from, I was talking to a friend the other day and he said, that uh, his dad, or grandfather, I think it was, had said that during the war, a load of small incendiary bombs landed. And they came and shattered all... None of them went off. Shattered the roof tiles, landed in the road, the garden, ended up rolling down the roof into the gutter, around, you know, the rain gutter. Lots of these little incendiary bombs. He said none of them went off. And apparently, the people working in the factories where these bombs were made they were some sort of slave labor he was saying and they sabotaged them they're making these small incendiary bombs and each one they made they sabotaged it so it wouldn't go off 
So that was lucky because he said he wouldn't be here. You know, had that all gone off, he wouldn't be here because his uh, dad wouldn't have been here because his grandfather wouldn't have been here, etc. If you see what I mean. So that's interesting. All these wartime experiences. Now I'm just going to move on. Have a break from the 1940s for a minute. I want to tell you about telepathy. That word always reminds me of a friend of mine years ago. He's passed on now. He always called it telepathy, or was it telethapy? Telethapy, rather than telepathy. And he used to confuse me. I ended up calling it telepath, telethapy. Anyway, right. I was talking to this chap one evening, years ago, decades ago. You guess where? Where was I talking to? Come on, you know, you're all saying, aren't you? Yes, in the pub. <laughs> in the pub. And he said, I'll tell you a little secret. Don't tell anyone, a little secret, how to get a girl to ask you out. Uh, sort of thinking, uh, OK, yeah, carry on. <laughs> Interesting. He said, what you have to do for around about four, five, maybe even six weeks, think of the girl. You, you see a girl, you want to ask her out or you want her to ask you out. Think of her. Think of her all the time. When you go to bed, think of the girl. You're going out together. You're with each other. When you wake up in the morning, think of her. Think of her all the time going out and saying to you, would you like to go out for a drink? Would you like to go out? You know, all this sort of thing on your mind all the time. And it's a form of, he reckoned, telepathy. I'm getting it wrong, telepathy. So he said, I've been uh, trying this out on a girl for a couple of weeks now, and I reckon it'll take another two or three weeks and she'll ask me out. So I I thought, I didn't take much notice, to be honest. I just said, oh, that's interesting. Dick, his name was. <laughs> uh, anyway, I won't go into that. And I said, OK, Dick, yeah, that's, that's great. And he said, that's the girl over there. One evening, he said, look, that's the girl over there. And she was quite a nice looking girl. He didn't know her at all. Neither did I. And a couple of weeks after that, I was standing there with him and the girl was with her friends and she wandered over. And she said, uh, I've often seen you in here. Thought I'd come and say hello. And he said, oh, yeah, hi, I, I'm Dick. This is Ray. And I said, hello. And I forget her name. And she started chatting. And I thought, well, I'll, I'll leave them to it. You know, I don't want to be a, a, what is it? They used to call it a gooseberry or something. <laughs> when there's three of you, one of them's a gooseberry, isn't it? I don't know why that is. Anyway, I wandered off, went and spoke to someone else. And he started going out with her. She had asked him out. I did hear that bit. She said, how about going out for a drink one evening? And he said, oh, that's, that's a nice idea. Yes, I'd like to. I overheard that. But I reckoned afterwards, I was talking to him sometime later. And he said, there you are, it works. And I said, that, that was a, a trick. You'd planned that with her. You knew her anyway. And it was just all some big con. And he said, no, honestly, anyway, I didn't believe him. And then sometime, I don't know, a few months later, I saw this girl in the pub. I hadn't seen her before. She started to come in regularly. And I thought, I wonder whether I should try out this uh, telepathy. <laughs> so I started to do what he'd said. I thought of her. I kept picturing us two together. I imagined her asking me out. And I did this, not constantly, like he said you should do, but whenever I thought about, oh yeah, I must think of that girl. I wake up in the morning, oh, I must think of that girl. I'd go to sleep at night, I'm thinking of the girl, imagining us as a couple. And you know, after, I think it must have been four or five weeks, she wandered over to me one evening and started chatting. Now, I was very conscious of what I'd been doing, obviously, and I was thinking, is she going to ask me out? You know, this can't be possible. This isn't going to work. 
And we just started chatting, and that was that. She didn't ask me out, and I thought, well, there we are, that failed. But a couple of days later, I saw her in the pub, and she came over again. Oh, hi, Ray, how are you doing? Having a chat. And she said, we'll have to go out for a drink one evening. Would you like that? And I couldn't believe I was stunned. I was stunned initially, but then I thought, hang on, let's be sensible here. Don't be balmy. It's coincidence. It's purely coincidence. It's got to be. Now, it's quite a long story, this, so I won't bore you, but we, we started going out together and we got on quite well. In the meantime, this friend that had introduced me to this idea, he'd split up with his girl. And I spoke to his girlfriend one evening because I sort of got to know her a bit as she was going out with him. And she said, you know, I don't know why I went out with him in the first place. I didn't fancy him or anything. And I thought, well, that, that's interesting. Why did she ask him out then? It can't be this mind business transferring thoughts and stuff as he'd gone on about and she said again I really don't know why I asked him out I just saw him and started chatting and somehow I was sort of compelled to ask him out for a drink and I just said oh yeah that's interesting I don't know why that should be but that stuck in my mind I'm going out with this other girl who I'd, I'd use this telepathic sort of business on and after a few weeks I realised that we weren't really suited, and I think she realised it as well. Then one evening she said to me, I'm not sure quite why I asked you out really for a drink. I've never asked anyone out before. She said, it's just not something I do. I don't ask guys out for drinks and things. They normally ask me. And I just laughed it off. And I said, well, you know, obviously you fancy me. And she said, well, the thing is, she said, I've got to be honest, I didn't really. I didn't sort of fancy you at all. I just... Don't know why I asked you out in the first place. Anyway, we sort of drifted apart because it was obviously not going to work. But that got me thinking, was this really some kind of telepathic thing that had happened? And she didn't really want to go out with me. And neither did the other girl with the a friend of mine, with Dick. All very interesting. As I said, a bit of a long story, so I don't want to bore you. But some time later, about a year later, I suppose, I was in my front garden. I was just doing something to my car and there was a girl that lived down the road. I didn't know her, she didn't know me. I'd seen her around, we hadn't even said hello. And I thought, I'd really like to take her out for a drink, she looks nice, and I did the, the trick. I kept thinking of her for about a month, blah, 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 it went on and on. And one day, one summer afternoon, I was out in the front garden and she walked past and just said, oh, hello. And I said, hi, how are you doing? And she came over to me and started chatting. And we got talking about how long she'd lived there, how long I'd lived there and all this. And then she said, do you want to meet me in the local pub one evening, do you? We'll have a drink. And I couldn't believe it. I just couldn't believe it. This couldn't surely just be coincidence, could it? Dick had gone out with that girl. I'd gone out with the other girl. And now I tried it on this girl. And she's asking me to go out for a drink in the local pub one evening. I started to worry at that stage if this was working then it could have I don't know dreadful consequences if you know if, if everyone was trying this on with with girls it could not be a good thing possibly I had all these thoughts but I went out with her and we went out for quite a few weeks at one stage we were chatting she was in my back garden with me we were having a, a couple of drinks in the evening in a nice summer evening we're just sitting there on the patio and she said to me I don't know why I asked you out for a drink. And I thought, here we go again. This is odd. This is really uncanny. It's weird. I didn't like it. And I said, well, why did you? She said, I don't know. She said, 
just chatting to you and it just popped into my head. Oh, I'll ask him out for a drink. She said, I don't know why. She said, I don't ask people out for drinks. Again, the same sort of thing. She'd never asked anyone out for a drink. It was always the other way around. And we drifted apart. We remained friends, but we drifted apart because we weren't really, I suppose, suited as boyfriend and girlfriend. And that really worried me. Now, just in case you're bored, I'll tell you uh, the end of that story in a minute. Let's go back to the wartime thing. A friend of mine, a radio amateur actually, like I am, a licensed uh, radio ham, his dad was a radio ham and so was his granddad. And his granddad, during the 40s, during the war, had a knock on the door from this official-looking chap with his his tie and his suit and everything. Are you Mr. So-and-so? Yes, a radio amateur, licensed radio, blah, blah, blah. Yes, may I come in? I'm from the, I I forget what it was, the Ministry of... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> of something, of radio or whatever. And he said to this uh, this chap's granddad, he said, now, you know Morse code. You can send and receive Morse code because you're a licensed radio amateur. And he said, well, yes, of course. He said, what we'd like you to do is to listen on certain radio frequencies on shortwave, receive Morse code signals, not send any signals, purely receive signals, write them down. He gave him a, a pad of sheets of paper with all bits and pieces to fill in write down the messages and they will be collected and he said yeah what are you willing to do that and this chap said yes of course yeah anything to help the the war effort you know so that's what he did he'd been given a, a list of frequencies to listen on various times and he received morse code messages obviously from the enemy and he was writing down these messages not in english of course but that didn't matter with morse code I've done this. I've, I've heard an amateur station calling CQ on the radio. I start writing it down. I think, hang on a minute, this is all in French. I can't read French or German or whatever the language is. With Morse code, it is a kind of universal thing. It doesn't matter what language you speak. If you send me Morse code in, say, Dutch language, I'll write it all down. I can't read it. I don't know what it says, but I can write it all down. And that's what this chap did. He filled in these bits of paper and they were collected by a chap, I think he said on a motorbike, would come round and collect them. And he wasn't allowed to tell anyone, of course. No one knew what he was doing. They just thought, oh, he's a radio ham. So that's another interesting little snippet from uh, wartime stories. I've seen one or two things on the telly, actually. I think I've mentioned before to you once there was a, a pie PCR receiver and what they did on uh, like farms out in the out in the sticks you'd have perhaps the farmer's wife she would be given this receiver no one knew not even her husband a family no one knew she didn't tell them all and it was perhaps installed in an old outbuilding and she had to pop out there say seven o'clock every evening tune into a certain frequency and write down a message this wasn't Morse code write down a message And then she'd leave that message at some pre-planned place, like it could be the the branch of a tree, the bough of a tree, put it in there, and it was collected. She didn't know who collected it. The person collecting it didn't know who had left it there. There's all this stuff going on behind the scenes in the 1940s. Loads of stuff like this going on. Must have been a fantastic time to listen on shortwave radio. I mean, I listen on shortwave radio now, and sometimes it's, it's pretty boring. But back then, there must have been all sorts of things going on, quite interesting stuff. So there's a, another little wartime snippet 
just thinking about that, I've got an idea. It was there were like not resistance groups, but groups of people that would be they'd be saboteurs if the enemy did actually get into the UK and start taking over. There would be these little groups of people that had their communication systems and all this, and they would sabotage things. I might try and find out a little more about that. Uh, if I can, I'm always looking into things, aren't I? I've got a whole list somewhere, where, I don't know, of things I must look up online and things I want to read up about and look into. <laughs> I don't even know where the list is, isn't it awful? Now, another thing, where's my list here? Searchlights. My grandfather in the war, he was a searchlight operator. You know, these huge lights, they'd shine up into the sky to find an enemy aircraft and then they keep the searchlight on the aircraft so that the, the gunners on the ground could see it and shoot it down. I think that was the idea. So what did the enemy aircraft do? They would fly down the searchlight beam towards the searchlight, firing their machine guns to put the light out, which they often did. The trouble is they also put the people out operating the light. So if you saw a plane coming down the searchlight, the best thing to do was to to scatter or get away from the searchlight because you knew that he was going to try and fire at the light or bomb the light even. So yes, my grandfather told me about that. He didn't really tell me any, any stories about it. He did say that he'd lost some friends uh, while operating the searchlights. But I have found over the years, if anyone has been in the war, they don't want to talk about it. Most people don't want to tell you about it. There's something they just want to forget about which is perfectly understandable, of course. Let's go back to telepathy, just for one little bit more ending of that story. I was married, living in a house, got married, no girlfriends, wasn't looking for other girlfriends. Couple moved in next door. They were great, about our age. We'd invited them in for a drink, welcomed them to the road and all this business as you do. And for some reason, I remembered the telepathy trick. And I thought, I was consciously thinking, don't do that with her. She was a lovely girl, really attractive. But I thought, don't do that with her. I, I'm not interested. I don't want to go out with her. And I was consciously thinking, I mean, I didn't want to commit adultery and I was happily married, as I am now. I was consciously thinking, don't do the trick. Don't think of the girl. And of course, in consciously thinking, don't think of her, I was thinking of her. <laughs> it was a weird sort of situation. I mustn't think of her. Whenever I was out in the back garden, if I saw her, she'd say hello. and I'd be friendly, of course, and have a chat. Mustn't think of her. Mustn't think of going out with her. I don't want her to ask me out. And all the, I just thought it was all nonsense. One morning, I worked from home. I was working down the garden. I was just having a break. I wanted to fix the fence down the end of the garden. The fence between our gardens. It was virtually non-existent right down the end. And she said, do you want to come over for a coffee? I'm having a coffee on the patio. I said, oh, that'd be nice walked through the, the broken fence into her garden, went down there, sat at the table on her patio having a coffee. After about 10 minutes, 15 minutes, I'd finished my coffee. And I said, right, I must get back to repairing this fence. And she said, do you fancy going out for a drink one evening? So my reply was, oh, that'll be nice, the four of us going out. Yes, that's a good idea. We'll go down to the local pub, the village pub. And I knew what she was going to say. And she did. Oh, no, I just meant you and me. Don't bring husbands and wives with us, do we? At that stage, 
I, I just said to her, um, I wasn't interested. I said, no, sorry, you know, happily married, daughter, do all that sort of thing. Not into that at all. And she was fine. She just said, oh, OK. She did say, I don't know why I asked you, actually. She said, because I'm, I'm quite happily married. I can't think why on earth I asked you. And I said, well, let's just forget it. Then I realised this can't be coincidence. It's worked yet again. That was the fourth time, three times for me, once for that dick that I knew. It couldn't be coincidence. What do you think? Have you ever had any experiences like that? If so, email me, raiserants at protonmail.com. Be great to hear from you. I don't know. Is that telepathy? Is that somehow influencing someone's mind with your own thoughts? Or is it just a load of rubbish? <laughs> I can just imagine the emails I get now. Ah, oh, that's a load of rubbish. Don't know what you're talking about. Coincidence, of course it is. What else could it possibly be? I don't know. You tell me. What is it they say on places like Twitter? They'll put a picture on or something. They'll say, I'll just leave that there. Meaning, you know, this is nothing to do with me. I'm just saying this or just putting that picture there. Nothing to do with me. I'll just leave it there. So I shall just leave that there. Be interesting to see what you think. Quick uh, change of subject again, as usual. Jerry from America. Hello, Jerry. Got your story. Jerry sent me a what is it, an MP3, an audio story. Uh, just a quick one about when he was putting up a ham radio aerial. Uh, <laughs> it seems like it was kind of midwinter. There's blizzards and dreadful weather. Not the sort of weather to put an aerial up at all. And he was up this tree tying off this uh, this wire. And a cop car <laughs> drew up and the cops in the car are looking at him obviously thinking what is this bloke doing is is either crazy or or it's a radio amateur and well in which case he is crazy because radio amateurs are crazy I know that because I'm one so yeah great stuff Jerry eventually the cops drove off but it, it it's quite a story I'll make more of that at some stage Jerry and um, make it into a a lengthy dramatic no I won't now but I might tell a bit more of that that reminds me of a time when I lived at home, my parents had a bungalow. I'm no good at heights. And I wanted one end of a piece of wire, this aerial of mine, tied to the chimney. So my mate, my parents were out, of course, we waited till they went out. <laughs> my mate climbed up on the bungalow roof, walked up and he's standing next to the chimney, clutching this end of this bit of wire. When a cop came by on his bike, now I was around the back garden. And I could see my friend talking to someone. So I went round the front of the bungalow and there's this cop. And he's saying, what are you doing up there? He said, I'm putting up an aerial. We said, what, a TV aerial? Well, where is it? Where is the TV aerial? And he said, no, this bit of wire, it's a radio aerial. Radio aerial? Well, what do you mean a radio? Said, well, that's a bit of wire. What are you doing up there? And this cop wouldn't let it go. He said, you're not trying to break in, are you? So my mate said, well, how am I going to do that? Climb down the chimney? And the copper said, well, you never know. <laughs> I explained to the cop, I went over and spoke to him. I knew him to say hello to, he often cycled by on his bike. But it just made me think, back in the good old days, you'd have a, a policeman on a bike or cruise around in a, what we used to call a panda car. You know, it was it was good. They were looking out for people, looking out for people's property, things like that. You'd see a chap on a roof or up a tree in midwinter like Jerry. <laughs> I could just picture that. Shame there's no photograph of you up there, Jerry. But, you know, they, they took an interest. Didn't just drive by or, or, you know, and think, oh, I'm not bothered with that. Probably have to fill in a load of paperwork. They took an interest. 
So thanks for that, Jerry. Yeah, that, that's good. That reminded me of my, my mate on the bungalow roof with a piece of wire in his hand. He did put the aerial up and it worked very well. So uh, anyway, that's another story. Now I've got an email here. Hang on, let me just find my email. I've printed it somewhere. Where is it in my notes? Hang on a minute. Email from Lillian. She says, her grandmother. Hello, Lillian. You must be getting on a bit. Oh, that's rude. I can't say that, Lillian, can I? You're getting on a bit. But uh, your grandmother was a land girl. Land girl, the land army, you know, back in the war. When uh, the girls and young ladies and women all went out to work the land on the farms. And her grandmother, Lillian says, drove a, a tractor. And she loved it. She drove the tractor, pulled her, the harrow thing and the, the plough and all this stuff. Loved the farm. And she, as Lillian says, became quite a muscular lady. But what happened was the land girls, they, they loved the work. But after the war, well, most of them did anyway, after the war, when the chaps came home, they got their old jobs back. And of course, the women were then... It was awful, really. They were just discarded. Right, you can clear off now. You go home and bake pies and do, you know, housewifey things. It's what you're for. That's what you're here for. That's how they were treated by some people. Uh, well, by all sorts of people, really. I think the government included. She lost her job on the farm because the, you know, the men folk came back. And she thought, well, I'm not having this. I like farming. Anyway, she married a farmer. <laughs> so that's great, Lillian. She married a farmer. And uh, they farmed until they retired, uh, which is fantastic. But that is a shame. I've heard about this before. Women and girls, not little girls, obviously, but you know, like late teens, they worked in machine shops, in factories. They operated lathes, drilling machines, milling machines. They were working in machine shops, making all sorts of things, parts for machine guns, parts for tanks. You know, it was fantastic for them to get, no dare I say it, away from the kitchen sink, you know, and the cooker, the oven, get out and do something useful. And of course, after the war, when the men folk came back, they wanted their factory job back. They weren't paid as well as the men, nowhere near it, apparently. And they just lost their jobs. Now you go home and sort of go bake a pie for your husband's dinner or something. That's what you're meant to be doing. You shouldn't be operating a lathe. It was awful, really, you know, that I've heard programmes, watch programmes, documentaries about it. Dreadful way to carry on. But at least Lillian's grandmother married a farmer, so she carried on doing what she loved, driving tractors and farming. Hard work, though, as Lillian says, hard work. And uh, what was it? Yeah, her grandmother was a, a muscular lady. I'm sure she was working on a farm. Probably do me good. Email from Sally, not about uh, the wartime or farming, but she's just put here, about the 1940s, well, and later years, of course, Sally, women wore skirts and dresses just about all the time. I mean, the land girls on the farm wore trousers. They, you can't wear a skirt or a dress when you're digging up the land and driving tractors. <laughs> Wouldn't look too good. Well, I don't know. No, stop that. And she said that these days, women don't seem to wear dresses and skirts. It's all trousers, jeans and whatever. Um, I think she's talking about the younger women. And funny you should say that, Sally, because the other day, uh, Trish and I went out with her sister and her husband. We went, I forget where we went now, isn't it awful? We went somewhere. And her sister wore a dress. And I i can't remember the last time she, she wore a dress. And I said to her, 
you look lovely wearing a dress. He said, oh yeah, yeah, I've had this a few years, thought I'd wear it. It was such a change. And as Sally says, in the old days, well, hang on, we've got a message now. What's this now? Oh, I don't know. In the old days, women always wore skirts or dresses, but now everyone wears jeans, trousers and whatever. But uh, there we are, things have changed. Yeah, as I say, you can't have the land girls wearing skirts. <laughs> oh dear. Stone the farmers. No, don't stone the farmers. Then, of course, there was the... I've got another one here from Keith. Hello, Keith. Uh, the evacuees. He was um, one of the kids that was evacuated. He's... Uh, well, where's his... No, I've got notes here. What's this? Car Shorten, Surrey. That's where I was born. <laughs> Why have I written that? Goodness knows. And perhaps I'll forget. So I don't forget where I was born. I was born in St Helier Hospital, if anyone knows it. Car Shorten. Up in Surrey there. What was I saying? Keith. Oh, yeah, that's right. He went to somewhere down in Devon because he lived in London. He was evacuated. You know, get on the train with your gas mask and your bits and pieces, your little suitcase. And he went down to Devon and he stayed uh, on a farm there. And he loved it. I don't know whether he was with other children, but uh, he loved it on this farm. And he became friends with the couple that ran the farm. And uh, he eventually... After the war, when he, he was older, he went and moved down there and he worked for them. He worked for them on the farm. What's all these things going on? Oh, this is the WhatsApp thing. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about deleting some of this stuff because of um, security and things. You know, all this security they were about with computers and identity theft and all this stuff. So, yes, he, he says he worked for them, but they actually took him in, as he's put it, uh, as one of the family. And when they passed away... They left the farm to him. So that's a, a fantastic story. Worked out from being evacuated, which he said he just dreaded the thought until he got to the farm. And then he's thinking, wow, look at this. This is fantastic. Uh, to actually ending up, the farm was left to him. They didn't have children of their own. So, yeah, that's a good one, Keith. Thanks for sharing that with us. There's a What's that going racing? It's meant to be a 30-mile-an-hour road. Someone's just gone past at about 80. Well probably 40. The weather here is awful, it really is. The sky's grey and it's lashing with rain still. Dreadful out there. Still, I don't have to go out till later. I just hope it's not pouring with rain when we walk round to our club later on. I think sister-in-law and brother-in-law are getting here about five. Then we're wandering round there sort of half six, seven o'clock. And if I can't get a seat, I'm coming home. <laughs> I've told them that. I'm coming home. That's it. End of. I've just thrown some notes away. What I used to do was just cross off the notes, bits of uh, bits of pieces I've written. But then I think next week, and what is that crossed off properly? And it's confusing. What I'm going to do is get a complete new notepad. This one, I turn over the page like that, and I've got a news flash now. What's that? Breaking news. Oh dear, more stuff about Russia and Ukraine. Yes, I've got all these notes and it, oh, here we are. Look, it says here, Rolf, <laughs> more of when I was a boy. That isn't even crossed off. So what I'm going to do is get this entire pad, car shortened, sorry, and throw it away. There's only a page left, a blank page left on the back there. I'm going to throw it away because otherwise I'll be reading notes out every week and you'll be thinking, what, what are you talking about? You mentioned that say, six years ago. <laughs> Happy days. As I said, sadly, not a great response about the wartime memories of uh, aunts, uncles, grandparents. But one here from 
Paul. He says that I've mentioned my Lister stationary engine before, which I have, Paul, many times. His uh, grandfather, on a farm back in the 40s, he had a, a several Lister engines. And he said one of the engines is still in the family. Uh, they were used to drive water pumps, uh, generators for electricity, all sorts of things. You, know, you could use a, an engine to drive all sorts of things on a farm, obviously, really useful. And he says, yeah, it's still in the family. Uh, you haven't said whether it actually runs or not, Paul. Does it work? I'm looking forward to getting my engine out. It's all covered up for the winter. But what I might do in the spring, and it nearly is spring, isn't it? We're not far, mind you. We've got January and February to get through. They seem to be the worst months. But once we start getting a little bit warmer, a little bit lighter in the evenings, I'm going to drag out the Lister engine, put some petrol in the old girl and give her a good old crank and wind her up. Put, 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 put. Terrific, the neighbours will think, oh, here we go. Summer's on the way. He's got the blasted engine out again. No, they love it. Actually, they love it. I was firing up one afternoon and my neighbour came round. He said, oh, I can hear the engine. Can I have a look? So he came and had a look at it. And there are one or two other people, radio amateur friends of mine that I chat to on the radio. Uh, they haven't seen it running yet. And they haven't forgotten. I want to see that engine running. So did you get that engine running? Let me know. So I will do. I've got to get a new fuel tap for it because the one I bought, which wasn't cheap, it's a nice brass tap, but it leaks. Where the little handle is to turn the, the fuel on and off, it all drips out of there. The petrol, it's hopeless. I've seen a better one online, but it's 28 quid. Seems rather a lot just for a little brass tap. So I'm going to have to look into that. Anyway, why am I going on about the engine? Who's interested in engines? Not me, I hear you all say, or shout in unison. Not me. Did I tell you what uh, what we got, Trish and I, as a joint present for Christmas? Did I tell you? We got a sack trolley. <laughs> a sack trolley. People have said, well, what does Trisha want with a sack trolley? We both need it. When we buy coal for the, the fire, you know, we back the car into the drive, then they're big, heavy bags, so we've got the sack trolley to put them on. We used to have one, but we took it up the tip. It's one we've had for decades. Tiny little thing, and it rusted away, and the wheels were falling off. Also, we've got to get some uh, sand, no not sand, we've got to get cement for building this raised border. I would make the brick rabbit hutch thing into a raised border for vegetables. So we'll be getting some topsoil from people and uh, bricks and goodness knows what. We always have used our little sack trolley over the years. Now we've got a decent one with uh, pneumatic pump-up type tyres, which is fantastic. And everyone on Boxing Day, they're looking at this trolley, you know, why does Trish need a trolley? She is head gardener. She is head gardener. There we are. I do as I'm told in the garden. Well, I do as I'm told everywhere. Not. <laughs> so, yes, really looking forward to getting out into the garden. I've got to lay some turf where there's a big strip of mud patch where the that was the outside bunny run, which was all fenced in. All the fencing has gone because our poor old boy passed away. Oh, Woody, bless him. He's uh, buried next to Hetty, his wife. Wife. Do rabbits have, <laughs> do they have wives? Well, we call them husband and wife anyway. So now he's gone. We've got a lot to do in the garden. Lay the turf to get the lawn back to how it was. Build the wall for the raised border. There's a lot to do. There's, I won't go into it all now. There's loads of stuff. I've got the shed roof leaks. <laughs> the fence has got to be creosoted. You can't get proper creosote anymore. That's a pain, isn't it? Well, you can if you're a farmer. 
Oh, perhaps I should go and see Lillian. <laughs> Lillian, got any creosote? Where are you in the country? Perhaps I can pop round with my sack trolley, pick up a couple of barrels of creosote, the proper stuff, not this synth uh, synthetic rubbish. Talking to a friend of mine uh, the other day, we went round sister-in-law's, brother-in-law's for an afternoon. No, it was sort of lunch, really, a late lunch. And this friend of mine, he's into classic cars, he collects them. And he was saying in the old days, you had to know how to drive a car. No power-assisted steering, you know, it was a heavy old steering wheel. No power-assisted brakes. If you're going to put the brakes on, if you want to stop at a junction, you had to start braking a, a good distance before. Unlike these days in a modern car, up to the junction, you know, you can stop within sort of half a yard. <laughs> And I, I was agreeing with him. I love the old cars. I forgot what it is he's got now. Oh dear, I forget the name of it. Anyway, that's not here or there, but uh, he's got some lovely cars. And my brother-in-law, the one we're seeing tonight, he's got a, a 1940s Willys Jeep. Uh, you know, the old American Jeep, which is great. He's fully restored that. That's a fantastic bit of kit. In fact, another friend of mine's got a Jeep as well. I wouldn't mind a Jeep. But, of course, they're all open. Well, he has got the canvas sort of roof and the canvas doors. But I think in the winter, well, they put them away. You can only use it really in the summer. I think what I'd like is one of the American cars from the 50s, you know, like a, a V12 eight-litre engine. <laughs> it does about a mile to the gallon, you know. Mind you, you couldn't do that these days, a mile to the gallon. A friend of mine's got a Cadillac. He takes it out on special occasion. A big... Um, you know, soft top thing, huge thing it is, massive, fantastic. And he'll take it out. If, if someone's getting married or a friend of his getting married or whatever, then out comes the caddy, which is great fun. But of course, you've got to have somewhere to keep this stuff. It's all very well having a Cadillac. He's got his out on the driveway covered with a huge tarpaulin thing, like a proper car cover. But really, if you've got to have vintage cars, classic cars, you do need to garage them properly. I'm having enough trouble with my engine, my little Lister engine. Where to put that? I can't put it in the shed. It's too heavy. It goes straight through the floor. So we've got a, Trish found a decent cover for it online. I think it's to cover up patio chairs or something, but it fits perfectly over the engine. And uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty good. But of course, it still gets damp in there. So I am expecting one or two little bits of the engine to go a little bit rusty over the winter, but I can sort that out. Perhaps I can strengthen the shed floor. You don't want to know about the shed floor, do you? Right, let's, what's the time? Where are we? It's a quarter of an hour. No, it's not. It's three quarters of an hour. <laughs> quarter of an hour. You're thinking, talking for a quarter of an hour, it seems more like three days. Have I mentioned that uh, you'll be listening to this on New Year's Day, 1st of January 2023? Happy New Year. Did I say that earlier? I've no idea. I bet you can't remember either. We've all got bad memories. Happy New Year. Let's hope it's a nice one. Let's hope it's a really good one with loads of sunshine and happiness things going on instead of drudgery and dreary things. Oh, let's hope the weather's good. Let's hope everything is good for the new year. Positive attitude. That's what we need. Positive attitude. I've got all my plans for the garden, as I was saying. Got some concrete. Oh, yeah, concreting down. Where's my list again? I've still got this. Look, shed roof, concrete drive, back gate, bedroom ceiling. That list, that's been there a year. I'm sure I was reading that out to you a year ago. I really must make some sort of effort this year and get some outside jobs done. One good thing, 
the lashing rain we've had. You know, we had the roof repaired. Well, my desk over there, my amateur radio desk, well, it's a huge table. It used to be soaked. I had the bowl on there, drip, drip, drip into the bowl. All done. The roof repair has worked perfectly. No more wet all over the place, so that's good. That was money well spent. In fact, just looking at my list here, uh, what's that say? Toilet seat, I've crossed that off, that's done. Um, saw up firewood, that's crossed off. House roof, that's crossed off. So there are two or three jobs that have been completed. Anyway, I'm going to leave you in peace now. I've got to go and have some lunch and I've got to decide what to wear this evening. No, I've got to be told what to wear this evening. <laughs> no, I'm, going to, I'm just going to wear jeans and a shirt or something. I don't think people are dressing up. It's only our local club. Nothing too posh. So uh, where are we? Um, I've no idea. It's Saturday, isn't it? You'll be listening to this tomorrow. As I keep saying, Happy New Year. I will talk to you on Wednesday. And the wartime stories, by the way, if you have any that you think you might want to pass over and have read out, I mean, you don't have to use real names or anything, then uh, do send them and I can perhaps add a few wartime stories to another episode, which will be good. Take care, look after yourselves. Don't drink too much. Who's doing dry January? Do you have that abroad or is that just a, a British thing? There's what we call dry January, where people don't have any alcohol for the entire month. We have done that once or twice, but to be honest, we hardly have a drink anyway. We don't really drink in the week and perhaps just a couple of beers at the weekend. So it's more, I think, for people that drink on a regular basis. They can have four weeks off, give their bodies a bit of a break from it. So if you're doing dry January, good luck to you. Well done. And uh, if you're not, then <laughs> don't drink too much. Take care. See you Wednesday. Bye bye for now.